The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Thronescape. Across the Airways podcast dedicated to discussing episodes of HBO's Blockbuster Emmy Award, winning TV series, Game of Thrones, God of Course Stadium, otherwise known as the King of this Pod. And with me, are two nice, cool, before the Nightboard battle, walk and walk, far enough away from so the other men don't shit themselves. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico. Hi guys, it's Nikki. And welcome to Across the Airways Thronescast. On this week's episode, Dan, Nikki, and I review the ninth and penultimate episode of season six of Game of Thrones, along with some listener feedback. But before we get into all that, we have our very own Gunyan Light Nico reporting out some news concerning actor I gave it. Not directly Game of Thrones news, but Game of Thrones' own Kit Harrington will play the villain in the new Call of Duty game coming out next year. Basically, through six seasons, Kit Harrington has played the ultimate good guy on Game of Thrones, Jon Snow, and has proven himself absolutely wonderful at playing a hero. It doesn't hurt that Jon Snow is the Joseph Campbellian archetype of a noble heroic character, but It looks like Harrington is going to see how the other half lives. It was announced last Friday that Mr. You-Know-Nothing will play the villain in the upcoming Call of Duty Infinity Warfare. Earlier in the week, Entertainment Weekly shared a quick video of Harrington getting facially scanned for something, teasing their news later on Friday. And Taylor Kurosaki, the narrative director of Infinity Ward, praised Harrington's professionalism and talent. He said, Our story is about an epic showdown of opposing forces, much like this week's Game of Thrones, I imagine. And Kit immersed himself into the role and truly became the embodiment of the enemy, the settlement defense front. We can't wait for fans to see Kit play an entirely different kind of character. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't wait either, and this might be a reason enough to start playing Call of Duty again, just to see and hear Kit Harrington be the villain. Yeah, Yeah, like I said, not truly Game of Thrones news, but Kit Harrington news, so it qualifies. Because they're coming out around Christmas, you think? Uh, there wasn't a release date in the in the article. I just said late 2016, early 2017. Okay, so it could be a big Christmas. Yeah, it sounds like it could be. All right, well, without further ado, because I know Nikki's really anxious to talk about it. He's got other dance for us. We're going to talk about the Game of Thrones app that got everyone talking. Battle of the Bastard. Terms of surrender are rejected and accepted. I know we were concerned last. Cause I had quite a bit of a conversation about this episode going back and forth between two major battles. Cause that'd be just too much for the episode of But I think the way they did it with giving us all we really to see for battle covering, such as a hilarious Quartarian Anton explaining to do to his queen, character development, reminding us why Tyrion is such an important advisor to this. Cause of course, most likely, there was an arrow kicking with the dragons. Awesome. So do you both think the writers delivered the Battle of Marine just right at 
terms of character development, can they give us a sort of, I feel too bogged down with quality for like one of those sieges that he wrote. Yeah, you know, I thought the pacing was just about right for the way they cut between the two battles and allowed for the needed character development to take place. I thought the way they ramped up the action on the Battle of the North with cutting back to the battle already in progress over at Marine worked well to break it all up. While it was intense action on the Marine side, the character progression was ramping up on the big battle over at Winterfell, and vice versa, while that was raging, the battle ended in Marine and started to progress the character and plot after the Siege of Marine. The upward progression and the downward progression met at just the right spot to make this episode work very well. Yeah, I agree. They balanced it really beautifully, and we were given a little break from the huge seed by cutting away from it at times. I did love that they included so much with Daenerys. I was really worried that we wouldn't see progression on that because of on that storyline because of this huge battle that was going on in the north. I thought it was handled yep. really well. It was just edited. It was perfect. And I hope that when Emmy season comes around, the show is considered for editing as well as Kit Harrington as best actor. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, there's a lot of actors got here that deserve heavy nominations that haven't gotten. Oh, I agree. I just think Kit has this season has just oh, blown yeah. everybody away. I think he's shown yeah. talent that we was only hinted at before, even though we all love, love Jon Snow. I think he really came into his own this season, and especially with this episode and last season's Hard Home. Yeah, I think this episode was better. I think the top Carol was amazing. I didn't think it was possible to top Hard Home. That was one of my favorite episodes of the entire series, and then this episode came in and just I was like, okay, well, this is my new favorite episode of the series. Good, weren't you both very happy to finally find out God of the Siege of Marine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. After all that reading and all the years. <laughs> I was just glad it wasn't, like, a siege, really. Yeah. We were thoroughly put into jeopardy, and I know Nico and I were dreading how long it would last, but it, she brought in the dragons, and they took care of it, and Tyrion's diplomacy took care of the rest of it. Could I just love to narrate the quid which she gave back? I was just funny. Clovery's on the rise. She's like, Clovery's on the rise. Well, I love how he felt like he needed to explain himself and, like, almost defend his, his actions, but he did it in a way It's like, I really think I did the right thing and she agreed with him yeah it's like he was worried that he was gonna have to like try to justify it and he did and she was not mad at him at all in the first place but he just that look she sometimes has that little bit of resting bitch face uh that she had made him think that she was pissed and no she was like okay this is going on i agree with you i think you did the right what do we do now and instead of destroying cities like her father did or wanted to do he convinced her to do something else i like that part that he did because i think that part all these crazy theories I think that was more that her Targaryen side was starting to show and that scared yeah. people she has definitely got some feisty Targaryen in her that was part of who she is and the Targaryens were conquerors but she does not seem to block out the voices of her advisors like the Mad King did right. he would just do whatever he thought was best and, and Daenerys has an idea it's batshit crazy and Tyrion's like, maybe we do it another way. And she's like, yeah, I think maybe that's better. <laughs> yeah. So I think those worries that she's going to be a villain or that she's going to become the Mad Queen are a little, little bit put down. But I, I, I think it was a good idea and a, a great way to scare us all. 
Well, I'll give you a sneak review for it later on in the episode. I think that might be another, but we'll see. I don't think she's going to go bad shit crazy, but she's going to be very dark and dark. Yeah. That's all I have. So we'll get to that in a minute. But good finishing, talk about the narrative role in this episode. I like how they kind of broke out the intensity of that battle with Ramsey by jumping one more scene with the narrative meeting Theon and Yara. Good, I like that, uh, Galtarian gave the uncle, which was rightfully so. He deserved, he kind of deserved that a little bit. I think my favorite part of the whole thing was the interaction between Daenerys and Yara. Well, I thought the interaction between the two queens was great stuff. Good, I love those little smiles that Amelia got into her before. It just seemed like she was having so much fun finally getting to interact with strong female queen like her. Good, I, I love that little bit that she's like, girl, so do you take her and start you with those? Marriage? Good, she's like, well, whatever you would like. Good, she kind of smiled at that. So that was fun. That was kind of funny with some of our thoughts. Like, I love how they played as soon like fans are thinking or make a joke out of it. Can uh, you both do this scene of medley? Can are you excited for those between Danny and Yara? Because this is the last we will see of these characters this season, do you think? Because this is a good ending point. I was amused by the scene. I thought the flirtation was quite adorable and a little, you know, it was, there's definitely some spark flying. I love Tyrion reminding Theon, oh, we've met before. And then, but not really being like mad at him or holding anything against him. He just was like, why does everybody feel like they make a dwarf joke that that's the only they're the only ones who have ever made a dwarf joke and it was just like this is the kind of guy we're dealing with but he doesn't you know he doesn't know what's going on with Ramsey and all that so but I like the fact that that he was open to working with them and he wasn't telling Danny this guy used to pick on me so let's not you know when he was a teenager let's not work with him it was just more as a way of introduction and going I'm watching you I'm watching you I loved when Danny just assumed that it would be Theon on the throne of the Iron Islands and he said no 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 it's her and then Danny going oh really okay let's talk <laughs> so yeah. um, I was like big feminist moment there between the two of them you know Yara gave it just as well as she took it well that's a big thing in this world for a man to do mm-hmm. so I think it was only natural that Daenerys assumed that because when he said that she was you know, quite impressed like, she had a little bit of respect right and without te- you know and they didn't have to tell what had happened and why Theon was no longer really fit for a role which I thought was you know was good because I think when you tell somebody something that deep and something that big oh by the way you know because he was held captive and bit, had bits of him cut off and he's kind of not mentally all there it, it kind of puts a stigma on that person and right. I think it was preserving Theon's dignity to not go there and you know they didn't ask which I thought was was fantastic they had a set of it yeah I don't know if we'll see them next week but you know they've got more ships now and after uh, <laughs> our queen likes ships <laughs> she got some more so so I think we're almost ready to to head to Westeros, but I don't think that's going to happen until next yeah. season. I think we might leave next week or depart from Marine, but she's got to install someone there who can keep uh can keep the peace. And I want Tyrion out. I want Tyrion to go with her, so I don't know who she would lead there. Maybe Grey Worm, but I think she has to leave Marine in peace. Would they let Missandei uh, Grey Worm be left? That's a possibility. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing I could think of. But they're not leaders, and they're not her. And the, the people of Marine love her, but it's possible a Grey Worm would be my choice and leave uh, Miss Andy with him because yeah. she has Tyrion. Yeah, this scene set up a huge plot point for the final push of the series, and with most of the story in Marine building to the siege all season, my guess is that unless we see Euron arrive in Marine before they they leave, seeking an audience with Daenerys, we probably won't see Theon and Yara together with Daenerys in, in the finale. 
finale. And most of the next week's finale will focus on the trial in King's Landing, which I want to talk about in a second. Also, the aftermath at Winterfell, setting up for the battle in the north, and what John and Sansa now owe to Littlefinger. I think that'll be discussed next week. Yeah. And it'll wrap up the Riverlands story for Brienne and Jamie, and possibly setting up for the next season in that arena as well. And finally, Daenerys and Tyrion preparing for their march on Westeros, and what that will mean for next season. And I think that gets into what you were talking about, Nikki, as well, with who might get left behind to rule Marine and help to build up the free cities and help sort of fix all the problems with removing the masters from running those cities. There are going to be some growing pains, and I think they need to set up some people in the different cities. I doubt Yara and Theon will be featured in those scenes next week, maybe present, but not really interacting like this week until next season when we have some sea battles and landing of the Dothraki on Westerosi shores. We also didn't really jump in too much into that awesome scene when Daenerys climbed on Drogon and fought the ships, <laughs> essentially winning yes. the battle on the water all by herself and having the Dothraki clean up what was left of the Sons of the Harpy. The scenes where the where Drogon and the other two dragons unleashed their dragon's fire on the ship was amazing, probably in my opinion the greatest VFX effects of the entire season and we barely even mentioned it, which is yeah. just showing how spoiled we are with this show because something that great does almost doesn't bear mentioning. Now, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about next week's trial and what was set up this week in this episode. Did you happen to hear mention from Tyrion this week about Daenerys' father and the wildfire he stored? That yep. is important because mm-hmm. it's been hinted at pretty regularly all season from Tyrion's little family history lesson for Danny this week to Cersei's... But I thought he used that. Get, get out Daenerys. But see, that's where Cersei's confirmation of the rumor, courtesy of her own Dr. Frankenstein, Quyburn, is so important that she confirmed that there was more stored and probably under the Great Sept. So with oh, the decision boy. to no longer allow trial by combat, Cersei's future wasn't looking too bright unless it's about to go straight up lit up by wildfire on fire. It feels like Cersei is about to give King's Landing the Mad King treatment, giving a very Westerosi spin on the classic phrase going out with a bang Cersei might just burn the mother down along with the father the warrior the maiden the smith the crone and of course the stranger now of course I don't think Cersei would ever commit suicide even to take out the high sparrow but I do think she'd blow up the sep if her trial is going poorly and hope the majority of the faith militant and high sparrow were there at the time anyway cause she could get Tom and Alba that's the only thing yeah see I don't think Tommen will be he'll be there during the trial but maybe that's when she blows it up after okay. they break for the day or whatever or she makes some motion some point of fact and they have to review whether or not they they can proceed or if uh, they have to stop the trial or, or something of that nature and during that she'll leave the sept and blow it up I, I don't know how it'll work but it'll it, it's going to be something like that she might wait till they if they pause to deliberate like after all the evidence or something that's kind of what I thought yeah, exactly. So she would not put Tom in at risk. Can I think her doing that though? Jared's just gonna justify why the people are gonna want to get guy Daenerys go over Cersei. Because if Cersei doesn't get her way, she's just gonna torture him. Yep. So there you go. That's your your guy went back to Daenerys go over Cersei just based on that alone. So can I think we already know what's I do? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. And was there talk of ship battles in the books? Well, that's beyond where we are. Yeah. Where? Yeah. We've. 
we've come we're at that point where we don't know what's going on yeah i mean next week's episode is the winds of winter which is the title of the next book so i think that's going to set us up for what we're going to get in the next book so yeah there's going to be a ton of that in the next book but we just haven't gotten there yet yeah, tag yours. Exactly. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> like, I, I think we're going to have a shirt on. We could all cook on your I kind of want him to show up in Marine, like, ready to, you know, get, you know, pled, you know, say, hey, let's get married and do this. And she's not there. <laughs> like, um, where's the queen? Oh, she left with Yara and Theon. They're going to go to Westeros. They're on their way to Westeros. And he's like, what? That's just kind of my hope for comedy on the show. Okay. So a little bit of that has actually been addressed in the books. In the last book, you're on takes a raving party and goes south and actually goes in and comes in towards King's Landing but further south like down by the the orchards and the vineyard down near the the southern part of the continent so they actually go down below King's Landing and are going to come back up and their idea was they were going to take everybody from the the Iron Islands and do a giant raid mission on land and sort of blaze the trail for Daenerys and then he sent his brother Victarion who is his second in command and he sent him to meet with Daenerys and set up the alliance that we were expecting to see with Euron in maybe next episode or or somewhere going forward so in the books they have sort of started on this and it's going a little bit different than what it is in the show so that's another one of those probably cleaned up for simplicity's sake but it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next book and how close to what we saw on the screen is actually in this unpublished book. He could be the next Ramsey Bolton. Good speaking of Ramsey, the first <laughs> meeting between Ramsey and John, because everything I think we wanted to see. Because I love that John challenged him to a one-on-one battle just to make the guy angry. That was just great stuff. Were you both satisfied with this scene, the meeting of the guys, how it set up what was going to come, kind of just the way it ramped up the story and action with the battle. This episode was basically named after yeah, absolutely. This scene epitomized the two characters and showed their character. It went so well. And I know why Ramsey was kept referring to him as a bastard. Because, you know, Ramsey was somewhat made legitimate when Roos gave him the Bolton last name. So in his eyes, he's not a bastard anymore. But please, he's a bastard in every sense of the word. Yep. I, I thought it was very diplomatic of John. It was showing a strong leadership role. And I like his little bit. It's like, how you think your guys are going to fight and die for you since you wouldn't fight for them? It was almost like what Grey Worm said to the masters. It's like to the to their soldiers, you know, will you stay and fight and die for them for masters who would not fight and die for you? And they took off, rightly so. They're like, no, we're not. We're slaves. If you're going to take these guys down, we don't want to be anywhere near it. We're going to save our own selves. And I did get, you know, the creepy chills when he's like, oh, Lady Bolton, welcome home. I've missed you terribly. I was like, <laughs> oh, just kiss my ass, <laughs> Ramsey Bolton. I friggin' hate you. And I just love how Son just was so calm and ladylike so I, I was very happy I, I kind of hoped that we would avoid a battle <laughs> and that they would just go at it with swords yeah she just kind of stuck it to them yeah good stuff good moving on I thought the scene between John and Sansa was just going to be another one of those classic Game of Thrones scenes where a woman's intuition saves the day but technically that's how it worked out at the end of the battle but the scene also struck me in the sense that Sansa after everything she's been through is in a very dark place especially after suggesting that they should just sacrifice their 
the Rick end. I mean, she's giving up human life. Basically, for, for it sounded like she wanted John or her to have a throne. That's not a good thing. That made me shaky on stuff. Because I think John's not going to like that because we all know he made his wants to be a leader. So do you both think this means we will see stronger disagreements between John and his sister in the future? Sansa did not say they should sacrifice their brother. She said he was not going to live long because he was the greater threat to Ramsay being a trueborn male heir, which trumps okay. both John and Sansa's claim to Winterfell. She knew Ramsay and knew that there was no way that Ramsay would allow that threat to stand. For God's sake, he killed his own father and brother to ensure his place as Lord Bolton. I think John and Sansa will have a moment in the finale where they talk about what happened in this episode, and John, I think, will tell Sansa that there cannot be any more secrets between them. It's just too dangerous with all the enemies that they have. And Sansa will tell John he needs to include her in future plans, and they need to be more of a partners. They need to be more partners because men will rally behind him as a leader, but she's going to be the thing that makes it legitimate and a legitimate Stark claim until he gets raised up as a Stark or found out to be a Targaryen or whatever the case may be. I think this will actually bring them closer together rather than rip them apart or increase their disagreements. It just seems to me that they're on different ways. That, that's how I took it. I think neither one of them have been in a situation like this before, and Sansa has gone, has been forced to grow up a lot faster, kind of like John was. I think they're yeah. just at two different points. I totally agree with Nico. I think that this will not drive them apart. I think it will make them closer and a more formidable unit, because she needs him and he needs her. She is the one, like Nico said, who, who legitimizes the claim of the Starks. She is a legitimate Stark, and there are no that they know of, because nobody's seen Bran in a few episodes, you know, she is the legitimate start that's still alive. They don't know where Arya is, and plus Sansa's older. I think that they will come to an understanding that there will be no more secret, and there will be no more half-truths, and that they, that together they are stronger than they are apart. They need to fight other people, not each other. And I think that that's a pretty imposing force to be reckoned with. But is Sansa going to be willing to go under Daenerys' banner? Get a deal like Daenerys made with Yara on this episode? I think Sansa will take John's advice and whatever John thinks is right. And I think that she trusts his counsel and trusts him to know, you know, th what the right thing to do is. Since they don't know anything about Daenerys, I can't really speculate as to, you know, th what they would do. They they have no clue who she is. They don't, they've never even heard of her. So I think it'll come down to John trusting Tyrion and his counsel yeah. because they've, they had that moment back in season one on the wall right. where they sort of bonded and, and had a, you know, they both respected each other, even though, you know, Tyrion liked to tease him that he was a bastard and John liked to tease him that he was a dwarf. I think that right. camaraderie will, will win the day. And I think Sansa will offer or negotiate for the same sort of deal that she has with Yaro. They will be under the same banner. They will, they will come when called to defend the king or queen of the seven kingdoms. But at the same time, they will have much more independence in ruling themselves much like the Starks had for most of the time under the Seven Kingdoms anyway because most of the Southern Kings don't want to go north they don't want to deal with the north they don't want to deal with the wall and all of that what that entails and they kind of leave the north to govern themselves I think we're going to see a lot more of that throughout the Seven Kingdoms and there will be more freedom under Daenerys and under her rule because she kind of realizes that in a 
way, the lords and ladies of the court are slaves to the king, and she abhors slavery in all forms, so I think she's going to free it up. As long as they are loyal to her, she will give them enough rope to hang themselves, and hopefully they don't, you know? Right. She'll she'll give them autonomy in their regions. She'll give the Starks autonomy in the north. But like Nico said, you know, if something happens and she needs them, they'll be there. Just like Ned was with Robert, you know, whenever Robert needed him, he was there. They will serve their queen, but they will be kind of their own little mini kingdoms, almost like governors under a king. The United States of Westeros. There you go. I just think it's cool that this show potentially could end with the, the women rule. That doesn't happen to us. Because I think it's cool that you're breaking the mold. Agreed. George likes strong female characters, and I think that uh, he's very good at writing them, and given, you know, despite the criticisms of misogyny in some of the book, and I've seen it as well, and been like, hmm, I don't know about that choice, but I think he's proven that his char- his female characters are as strong as any that you would find. But he didn't break the mold of the genre by doing that either. Because no. he still have the archetypes of the, the epic Beowulf, like Hero, for example. Can you have a character right. like Baby, who is kind of like a gray version of that? Can even Beowulf's character kind of gets gray later on in the story? So that kind of makes sense. So you still have those archetypes of dynamics, but you also got the strong people aspect. Right. But he also doesn't take away their femininity. Exactly. Which a lot of writers do. They're not any less feminine because they're strong. In fact, you know, they're very, they're incredibly feminine and, rel- and take joy in their being women. And he doesn't over-masculinize them oh. at all. Like, there's, the women of the show are not masculine. They might do things that are considered, like Arya with her fighting, or, or Yara with her leading her people that might have been traditionally male roles, but he gives them to women and without making them basically just men with breasts. Right. They're women who are as capable, and he gives them more dimension. And he's given us many different types. They're all very different. If you think of all the women on the show are very, very different and very unique in their own ways. That's cool. I mean, I just say it's a very well-conceived archetype set-up story that this is, and it's, it's impressive. And speaking of archetypes or relationships between characters, I really enjoy that scene between Sir Donald and Tarland. I really hope that they become buddies or possibly go on an adventure together. I just think that would be fun stuff. Are they your new Varys and Tyrion? They kind of gave me that vibe. I, I, I like them. I was going to go more for a Bronn and Jamie kind of relationship. I think that they are they respect each other as as warriors and as men and they are united under, you know, believing in John. and that's a very powerful yeah. bond that you can have with someone is when you go into battle with them. So I think, I don't know if we'll get the buddy cop movie out of them, but I, I think that you have to show that the leaders of your divisions of your army can get along and work together so i like their chemistry i think their friendship was solidified in this episode but because they're both john's most trusted advisors they probably won't be leaving the fight to go off on any adventures together although maybe they will need to recruit the rest of the northern houses so they could go and try and bring those houses into the fold and and we could see them going off on and doing that sort of thing so maybe there's hope for your theory dan but more than likely (laughs) with the white walkers coming they're going to be working on their battle strategy. Right. Now, moving on, I have to give this episode credit for making Ramsey 
even though I hate the ground he walks on, a very formidable adversary for John Snow. Because he pretty much backed up being a complete asshole with a fairly formidable strategic mind that needed a little figure intervening to ultimately be defeated. Were you both amazed at this entire battle from a technical standpoint? Get the way it transpired, with it really revving up our hatred towards Ramsey, with the death of another Stark, the claustrophobia of battle, Sansa saving the day, the tragic death of the gossip giants, got John giving Ramsey the beatdown he deserved. Yeah, you know, there's a reason that people feared the Boltons and why the Starks kept them as bannermen. They have a history of being keen strategists and just bloody brilliant fighters. Ramsey was a master manipulator and strategist, and that bore out in this episode. I was not surprised by the cunning nature of Ramsey's battle plan. It was exactly like Sansa said. He is not trapped. He is the one that lays the traps. And John fell right into his. But luckily, Sansa knew how Ramsey thinks and was able to outsmart him and keep the Knights of the Vale in secret reserve to strike at just the right time when it would turn the tide of the battle. The actual battle... She just got some of that was better. Got leaving traps. Basically what she did. I think this was actually on her. The way that she left it out and no one knew it was coming. I think that's on her more than on Littlefinger. Littlefinger just happened to rally the, the Knights of the Vale and be available for her. Yeah, okay. The actual battle was pretty intense and amazing, but the strategic maneuvers used by Ramsey were brilliant. And it was, mm-hmm. it was very well done to use his superior numbers and his willful disregard for his own men to slaughter enough men to create a fourth wall. And then they were able to use that Carth- Carthaginian Carthaginian yeah Carthaginian shield technique to trap John and his men against the wall of death and advance upon them it reminded me of almost King Longshanks from Braveheart with his willingness to fire longbows into the fray killing his own men and the Scots at the same time and preventing the same tactics from the other side because well Sir Davos is not a freaking psychopath luckily <laughs> Ramsey's tactics left themselves open to a cavalry charge that saved the day and you know, this might have slipped a lot of people's minds. I'm glad you mentioned it, Dan, but we may have seen the final destruction of the race of giants for Game of Thrones. 1-1 yeah. the giant was the last of the three giants we've seen in this Song of Ice and Fire. The previous two had died on screen in battle when trying to take the wall. Since their arrival on the show, the giants have been treated like the majestic huge creatures they are. So did the Battle of the Bastards just show the destruction of the last of this race? My fingers are crossed we meet some more somewhere north of the wall in the final battle with the white walkers because those giants were pretty cool and it would be sad to think of them as now extinct yeah yeah i I totally agree i was i i was so sad for when one died and i was like please don't let this be the last giant and i was like when they were all lining up for the battle i was just like my friend and i were watching it and i was like i just the only thing in my head was we have a hulk you know like and it was interesting you mentioned the carthaginians because i was like obsessed with the uh, story of hannibal a few years ago and i read every book i could and this battle reminded me of one of their great battles against the romans and then I just read an article earlier this morning that it was actually modeled after the Battle of Cannae, which was between the Romans and the Carthaginians. Yeah, and the Romans were slaughtered using this technique. Exactly, and they were up against, you know, a much smaller army in the Carthaginians. One of the many battles that the Hannibal-led group warriors won. So I was very impressed by that, the way they, they integrated real history into the show and made it, like, even more exciting. I was like, oh my 
my god this is this this these techniques are very familiar and then i read the article i was like oh my god i was right i didn't remember the battle name but right i mean the battle scene gets so complex to do it really helps to base it off of something yeah it does and i think the director of this episode proved himself in with hard home but this one just blew that away i mean you had more strategy in this one to play with like ramsey yes he's the biggest prick in the north but he has got a brilliant tactician's mind he is a master chess player he knows how to lay the traps like sansa said and when it started to look to him i mean the look on his face when he was like these people are not going down these you know these wildlings these these soldiers from disparate groups is like tiny group of rebels against his empire are are not going down and i have to do something else and then when the knights of the veil showed up he was like oh crap and he turned tail and he ran and he did the worst thing a tactician could do is he cornered himself. He laid his own trap in the sense he wanted to corner them and he ended up cornering himself. And I was asked, especially after his sadistic killing of Rickham, I was very happy to see that. I was like, yep, run away, little boy, run away. Got the giant too, killing the giant. He deserved what he got for killing the giant too. Well, yeah, but I mean, one one took it all. I mean, he until he yeah. got that one in the eye, I, I was still had hope that he would survive even though he had about a hundred arrows sticking out of him. Right, it's the ultimate bash on Ramsey Bolton. Because like him doing that because he shot this majestic creature. He had always been against anybody who was different or an outsider or not like him. And that was just that moment where it's like, okay, this guy has to die. That was the final straw for me. I mean, there was a lot of them, but just this guy, he didn't deserve to live. Because basically what it was. Yeah, and he had crossed he had crossed the line so many times there were no lines to cross anymore. I love that the Knights of the Veil show, I was really hoping she hadn't called on Littlefinger just because I was like not again what's he going to ask for in return I was like there's too many strings attached with Littlefinger as we'll find out next week and but I think that John will be grateful that they stepped in because they really took over the battle and made it so he could go after Ramsay and take him down but I and as happy as I was to see them I was like ah crap what's she going to owe him so but I think John will say you know I wish you had told me but I'm glad they're there they were there because it saved lives to have them there. The good thing in John's favor is Sir Davos is a very wise man because he's playing with a full deck because he's kind of thought about that too. But I think he could sense things with Littlefinger coming because if he's playing games or whatever, I think he could kind of find a way out in my opinion because he's a sly smuggler, you know? I think he could maybe work around some of Littlefinger's tricks. So we'll see about that. Possibly. Yeah. If anyone could, it would be Sir Davos. I mean, he is right. ten shades of awesome, so and one of the smartest people you ever run up against. Good. I also have to give credit to the uh, set design and cinematographer for this episode. The the wall of death with those bodies. I mean, it wasn't just dummies or props crying there. They actually had actors in there crying out in pain and it was moving and different things like that. I mean, it was a very realistic way of doing that was great. And then the whole sequence where John was basically getting run over and was buried. Good troops. And he came out of that big pile of dead bodies and filth and carnage and whatever. That was just spectacularly done. It was a very great way of taking us inside the battle and making us feel like we were really in the middle of it. And that feeling of what it's like, where it's just, you don't know what's going on. And it's very, very claustrophobic. I really felt that way with that sequence. So, very great job. Very impressive. Good, like, for a technical standpoint, they should 
good. I mean, for that too, because this is unbelievable. We done. I just read some facts about that actual scene. Is the face-off between Jon Snow and Ramsay Bolton took 600 crew members, 500 extras, 70 horses, and more than 10 million dollars to film over 25 days, just the battle. So all those bodies lying around. Pretty well spent, I said. And I was really pissed that they were killing horses too, because I love horses. But I really no, no. But I take a, I, I get pretty personal. And as someone who has overcome a phobia known as claustrophobia that scene was like so anxiety ridden I mean I can imagine other people watching that and going oh this is uncomfortable but having been in a position where you you were that not really happening but it feels like that is happening to you it was just like oh my god I just felt so bad for Kit I was like I mean the amount of times he could have been crushed the amount of times he could have stopped breathing because of lack of oxygen in that in the dog pile I was just like oh my god oh my god all that old anxiety came out and I was just like oh when he took that breath of fresh air I think that was finally when I breathed as well and I think probably a lot of people had a similar it was just like they made it so like tactile you really felt it I don't think it was as bad for Kit I think they they used some cameras and some other things they could feel that way in editing don't take away my illusions Dan don't take away my illusions I was just like projecting like that was me it's like how he must feel because I've been in situations where that's what it felt like to be in a small space but to actually have like people piling on you yeah. I mean I just it made it I think more real for me to ex- kind of experience that and I know a lot of other people I've talked to have said that they were really felt like they were in that dog pile with him so I think that was brilliantly done and yes the editing has a lot to do with it but you also have you know a director who knows exactly what he's doing and you have Kit who the panic in his face was just like it wasn't for his own it was just like I have to get out of here because I have to beat him it wasn't I don't want to die because I don't want to die it was I have to get out of here I have things to do yeah also the scene where he comes out and gets that breath it was an exact mirror image of what Daenerys did when she freed the slaves and they lifted her up it was uh, meant to evoke that same sort of feeling of relief and that same feeling of we've survived and and you know that joy that comes at the end of that and that was sort of meant to be this uh, a parallel uh, scene to that one. Cause I, cause I don't think it was just this battle. It's, it's everything the characters gone through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that was the moment where it's like, okay, yeah, I do have a purpose here. Because he was crushing it before the battle. They do have a purpose. Clarence I brought back and all of that. Because I think when he came out and got that relief, because like, okay, maybe I was brought back for a reason. Maybe I am supposed to do something. Because John's not a character that's going to get cocky about it. But I think he's going to feel like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can be effective with battle. Maybe I won't end up like my, my brother who thought he was getting married and got his throat sliced out. So maybe it'll work out for him. We can only hope. But the only thing with this battle I was disappointed about was that Brienne didn't get to be a part of it. I know we had our fantasies and hopes that she'd get to kick some butt in this fight or maybe even take out Ramsey. But I think she's going to get her big battle soon in the future. Depending on where her story gets next week if we see her. Again, I think before the show is done she's going to get her moments trying to battle. Do you both agree with that? Yep, I do. Well, once again, it's going to all depend on the Lady Stoneheart question. If they're going to do the Lady Stoneheart art, then Brienne's story is going to go there for a while. If they are not going to do it, then my guess is that Brienne will rejoin Sansa at Winterfell as her master of arms for Winterfell or as her advisor in some capacity, plus possibly a bodyguard because Sansa may need one of those before this is all over. I I think it's all going to come down to whether or not they go the Lady Stoneheart way or not, and that will determine where Brienne's story goes. 
Okay, I think we're going to answer to that next week. I'm hoping so, right? Right, if they're going to do it or not. Guys say they're not going to do it because they just don't have the time anymore. I think too much time has passed that we've been right. expecting That's her it. since the end of the, since the Red Wedding and it just hasn't happened, hasn't happened. Dundarian is alive. I just have given up all thought that it's even going to happen. I think, but I think we, somebody last week, I don't, I think maybe it was Nico said that maybe Arya was kind of take that role and do what Lady Stoneheart did or the, you know, the things that she could do without you know, obviously being Lady Stoneheart. I like that idea. Yeah. I would still like to see some of those things happen, but I think it's even cooler if it's Arya, just because I like yeah. her so much. Well, that, that, that could, we could see that get set up next week. I think we're going to see Garia at least one more time, I think, next week, don't you both agree? I hope so. They need to set her up so that we know she's not just traveling, you know, right. all off season. And maybe that, that's fine if they set it up that she's heading home and that's their setup for next season. But I do want to see something mentioned because right now she just, the last time we saw her, she walked out of the House of the Black and White and right. said, I'm going home home but i kind of want to see a little bit more setup or a little more indication of what that means yeah what he said okay yeah yeah, that's a good call so yeah i agree that's where i think it's gonna go again i know with other characters where they may go there was a very important significance to sir davos finding the toy card for sheree because i think the sight of where she was burned alive because now that he has kind of upheld his promise slightly to help john defeat ramsey bolton you know is he gonna try gonna assassinate Melisandre, because as smart of a character he is, when someone messes with his children, he tends to not think straight. Again, again, I feel like he considered Shireen as one of his own, just like his sons. Again, in my opinion, I think that they should, from a story standpoint, kill her off. So the possibility of John or another character being resurrected is off the table. Because you really get a story, I believe, you can only pull that trick one time. Do you both think that this is where things is headed? I feel like Melisandre got to get her comeuppance for what she did by killing an innocent little girl. See, I, I just don't remember what Ser Davos promised John. I, I know he promised to help him win back Winterfell, but if I'm not wrong, didn't he also promise to help him with the battle against the others and White Walkers. I just don't right. remember exactly what. He did. Yeah, he did. He was going to stick with him through that. He was like his new stance, right. you know, worthy of Sir Davos. Yeah, so I don't think he'll feel free to straight up murder Melisandre, even though he he probably wants to. But I think okay. a confrontation is coming for sure. Sir Davos may even drop an ultimatum on Jon Snow that he will no longer fight with him if she is part of their camp and say that he cannot work with someone who murdered an innocent child he loved. And, you know, I can't really fault him for that either. That It's going to be tough to see such a power as Melisandre. She brings a lot of power and a lot of backing to their their camp and maybe she'll just work in the in the shadows and help them without really being a part of them right to make kick around but again there's two people good john's camp Brienne and sir davos who want to get rid of crossandre because she killed people that they they had loved dearly so there's that factor in there too. Yeah, I, I think Melisandre is safe for now. She's been so subdued since losing Stannis. I don't really think she she's that she's a threat anymore to anybody. I, um, I think Davos will come to realize that and he did while he did suspect something had happened because of her to Shireen, you know, she did bring John back and I think that there will be definitely like Nico said, a confrontation and he might tell John or he might not. It doesn't really do anything to help John or hinder him. Right. 
right. to have Melisandre around. I mean, he's the one who went to her and said, don't bring me back. You know, right. don't do that. Don't you do that again. You shouldn't have done it. Kind of, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. But I think now he realizes she was right to bring him back, but to do it again, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want that. I think there definitely needs to be a confrontation because she needs to pay in some way for what she did to that little girl for no reason. I just, part of me doesn't feel like the Lord of Light told her to do that. It was just, she wanted to motivate Stannis more. So that came from her. And I think she needs to, to uh, suffer for that a little bit. I don't think she'll be killed. I think she'll be ostracized. And I don't think she would actually take revenge or anything. I think she probably feels she deserves it with the way she's been acting. She's been so like depressed. I think she realizes that she did the wrong thing. She's kind of been humbled. Maybe not in an extreme, kind of extreme fashion. Cuts the odd. But she has been kind of knocked out of peg. Got that confidence and got that cockiness she had. And kind of almost that evil nature has kind of subsided a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Speaking of people getting tortured or, uh, you know, taken care of, I think getting his face walled off by his own dogs, kind of actually showing us that, because of fitting into such a Caden villain like Ramsey Bolton. But I am a torn on what effect it's going to have on Sansa. I know you guys disagree with me, but just based on what I know about heroes and got big stories, got things like that. We could get the scenario. You guys are thinking where Sansa's just going to be Queen of the North. God, Danny rules over everything. God, Sansa's kind of underneath her. But there is this thought in me, God, maybe this is because Sophie Turner played Jean Grey. Maybe that's throwing this factor in here too. But I'm kind of wondering about those theories about Danny becoming villainous or kind of going evil is actually going to end up being for Sansa. God, she really took great pleasure in killing Ramsay that I don't think John would have had. God, also, there's a sense that John restrained himself from killing Ramsay because he is that spinning image of the epic hero. So could we see maybe like a war between queens go on here? Because Sansa just, just the way she got it, I mean, I know Ramsay deserved it, but he also said that line about my words will clutch you forever, something around those lines. Was he referring that to the idea that she has gone dark or is going to go to a very dark place? I actually think, I don't think that she's going dark. I think that she, she deserved that revenge on him. And I think John I agree with that. Did, I, did, I just John didn't kill him. He didn't continue because he because she deserved to be the one to to kill him, and that's what he wanted. She he didn't kill Ramsay because Sansa deserved it, and he was going to let her take care of that because of what Ramsay had done to her. It is kind of every abused woman's dream to have that kind of vengeance against their abuser. I know so many of us who've been in that situation have fantasized. Not that we'd ever carry it out, but we fantasized about what we would do, and that's pretty much what I would have done. And it's kind of Ramsay's own fault because he didn't feed his dogs. Right. And he has too much arrogance and to think that he is untouchable. I think that in the Game of Thrones, you kind of have to throw away any preconceived ideas about the hero's journey or about characters in the heroic role. You Because he, George kind of breaks the mold in a lot of those ways. I don't think Sansa's going... I think she had a dark moment, but she deserved to have that moment. I don't think it's going to affect her in any way. I think now that he's dead, he's out of her mind. And she She'll never think of him again. So it's not like the Batman concept where they've always said if Batman killed, because Brad Skellery killed the Joker, like he, he'd be lost, he'd be in a dark place. No, I don't think so, because in this world, that's how things happen. It's that's okay. There are consequences to your actions. Even Ned Stark killed people and didn't turn him dark. You know, um, right. People kill people all the time for revenge, and it doesn't have anything to do with the dark or the light. It's just the complexity of human nature. And I think Sansa 
Sansa getting her final revenge against Ramsay was for her. It was for Theon. It was for Rickon. It was for Shaggy Dog. It was for all the people that he killed that she knew about. And in a sense, all the ones she didn't, you know, just, you know, like for everybody who you've ever done this to, this is for them. And, but she took great delight in it because she was giving him back what he gave her. Right. And she, he took delight in what he did to her. So she was going to take delight, which did. Plus, there is no feeling for him other than just disgust. There, she, there's no, she doesn't feel anything towards this person. She never did. So she doesn't, she could care less about him. And so when she gave that little smile, it was just like, I put a really bad human being who could barely be called that to death. And I did it in a way that was poetic and almost Shakespearean by letting his own dog, the one, the beasts he figured were most loyal to him and would only would do whatever he told them. And she's like, well, maybe you should have fed them then because dogs are dogs. So this is the kind of start, a trend of her killing anyone who gets in her way without mercy. She took out, this guy was a horrible, horrible human being. Cause now she's going to move on. God, we're not going to just see her. Every enemy she faces, she's saying, throw them to the dogs or cough with her head or anything like that. She's, she's not going to become like a queen of hearts or a Marie Antoinette kind of crazy thing. No, she, in, this was a battle. This was war. Okay. Yeah, this just showed Sansa Stark has fully evolved from the spoiled princess that she started the series as to the okay. calculating master of the Game of Thrones. And really, the the women on this show, uh, we've said this already, are bringing it right now. And this showed that Sansa is adding to that wonderfully. She's blended her stark honor with her calculating morally gray antics of the terrible men she's been surrounded by since her father's beheading back in season one. And I'd argue her husband's strategic mind as well. That's her first husband's strategic mind. Mm-hmm. I've already said this, but it bears mentioning again, bringing in the Knights of the Vale to the fight, thanks to her uncle and wishful paramour Peter Baelish, Sansa put together a very clever strategy and she came through in the end to win the day. This army afforded her the opportunity to finally do to Ramsay exactly what we've all been waiting to see for what feels like forever. What exactly did we see? Oh, just the murderous, torturous, rapist, all-around monster Lord Bolton getting torn to shreds by the only thing he swore would never turn on him, his trusty hounds. And boy was it beautiful. The she-stark herself even spared the smallest smile on her way out. The only question becomes if this is a whole new Littlefinger and Bolton-inspired Stark, or just a one-off release as a result of the tragedy she'd faced. I think, I might agree with you, Nikki, I think her enjoyment of his death was a one-off expression of the horror she'd been through at his hands. But ultimately, time will tell which way George and ultimately the uh, creators of the show will uh, will go with that. But I, I, I think... I I think you're right. It was just an expression of human nature and an opportunity at hurting the man who hurt her. Yeah. But it's not wrong for me to have that thought cross my mind. No, it, it's it's definitely in a, in another story. In a comic book setting, you, you should be worried yeah. like crazy. In this setting... That's why I read it, Father. Yeah, in this setting, in, the, in this story, absolutely not, because this story focuses more on the complexity of actual human nature. Comic books go very extreme, and 
and that's just the nature of how they are written and how their stories are told that they go someone is good or someone is bad more often than not there's very little gray area and that just makes it easier to tell stories but in this you want very complex characters that are living in the gray they sometimes are the epitome of a white knight and sometimes they are the epitome of the dark knight and so you you, you get somewhere in between and that's where most of us live our lives is in the gray exactly i think that that's more interesting that's why like in the say the marvel film you can make loki more complex and give him a vulnerable side and make you actually relate to that character than you did in the comics in the comics he's pretty much just pure evil but in the movies they've made you're able to make someone give them multi-dimension and that you can't do in a comic book because that's a flat page and like and so like in game of thrones or in worlds like this when you bring them to the screen and even the way george Wright, you get more of that interior monologue and you get more character development than you would in a comic book no matter what how fa- fabulous some comics are it is a page and there's only so much you can do with that genre in terms of character like nico said and you it's black and white whereas we live in a world of gray and i think game of thrones does a really brilliant job of saying these are human beings and we want you to relate to them and you actually do relate to most of the people on this show i mean i personally don't relate ramsey but he's dead now and i don't have to but there are parts of sansa relate to there's parts of john you relate to because they are able to show you over seasons and over you know over time and through facial expressions and gestures and just their behavior that these are people that you want to that you feel something for and that you relate to in a way so yeah this is a much more complex and complicated world and you have room for Sansa to have moments like this and still be Sansa Stark and or Sansa Lannister you know since her husband is still alive (laughs) and it kind of negates her wedding to Ramsay go with that I think we're going to go into what other we're feeling about the characters in this episode because we get into our consider feedback section can we like to thank everyone who sent us messages this week yeah on facebook elodie barnes sent us a message saying battle of bastards was epic this is me left field thinking could it possibly be that the queens will rule the world all under daenerys targaryen there are some bad b-words in game of thrones women in dorne marine the list is growing the iron islands maybe possibly in winterfell men have been getting it wrong just thinking out loud i think you're i think you might be right Chris Lopez Gleck sent us a message saying, OMG, that death scene was amazing, but as my husband pointed out, it was too quick for Ramsay. When John was covered in blood and dirt and he grabbed that shield and started walking towards the arrows, it was awesome. I think having Sansa and Littlefinger at Winterfell will help build the alliance with Danny and Tyrion. Another awesome moment was when Grey Worm sliced the necks of the two masters. I don't usually like the battle scenes, but this one was great, except when the giant fell. I kind of liked him. I agree. We're now open with a brilliant special effects shot. The ball appears floating into a turbage being launched towards Marine. The ball flies over the city, freshly smashing into the side of the pyramid. Finally, we see the Daenerys having a discussion with Tyrion as she goes her plans. She's going to kill all the masters and burn their cities to the ground, returning to ancient cities of the dirt. This is when Tyrion tells her the truth about her father. He tells her about the wildfire and the Mad King orders burn King's Landing and all his people to the ground. It's a good reminder to the increasingly ruthless young Targaryen, which is 
any of her father's madness, I could see things going very badly for the people of Westeros when she finally arrived. Of course, Danny isn't there to talk. She's there to ride the axe dragons and fight people on fire. And after being compared to her father by Mr. Tyrion, Danny decides to forego crucifying everyone who has ever owned a slave and sit down for a parlay with the master. Not to be overlooked, the marine scene gave us the dragon-mounted combat we've all been dreaming of since the end of Ethan Blunt, and the shot of Drogon landing and curling himself around Danny's feet with some of the best effect work we've seen to date. It's a primal thrill watching her ride her dragon and liberate her enemies as her due alliance with Yara and Theon raised new and provocative ideas about female leadership. Her getting Yara to promise to change the behavior of her people and specifically to end the Ironburn tradition of raining, pillaging, and raping. Maybe the reason Danny has historically had far more trouble leading than she does conquering because she's been forced by circumstance to deal only with male counterparts and all their flaws. It's this level of real insight that adds a bit of necessary bite to the image of the would-be queen soaring and burning. Now on to Winterfell. It's a calm before the storm and the war council needs to discuss battle plans for the Battle of the Bastards. John is rebuked by Sansa who, if we're honest, knows Ramsay far better than any of them. The development for this character is literally astounding. If anyone told me when I was watching Game of Thrones Season 1 that Sophie Turner's character was going to emerge as the best one on the show down the line, I'd have scoffed at the thought that now it happened and it's quite and I can't quite believe it. It went from strength to strength in her storyline and considerably stronger than any of the others on the show. And John goes to talk to Melisandre and warns her to never bring him back from death again. Nice try, John Boy, but I don't think she's buying. Also, the fun chat between Davos and Thormund sharing their pre-battle rituals was really funny. Thormund sounds like a lot of fun, even if his grog of choice isn't exactly appealing. And having Davos find the scorched remains of the stag that he carved for Stannis' daughter was heartbreaking. The battle, which was really remarkable. As a matter of fact, this may be one of the best battle sequences we've ever seen on television. It was outstanding. Sure, you can argue that the Knights of the Vale coming at the last second was ridiculous. And the same goes for the death of Recon's arc, who really meant nothing to the majority of the time and that he was a part of the story. Strangely, we're probably the most bummed about Wound Wounds, the giant who was a true killing machine for most of the battle. Sansa got a chance to effectively feed Ramsay to his own dangerous dogs as the perfect one. His character was one of the most really awful people we came to meet over the years, and it only seems right that he goes out in the most epic, horrible way possible. The battle itself took 25 days to film, and involved 500 extras, 600 crew members, and 70 horse. The result was one of the most fully realized medieval battle we've ever seen on the small screen, if not the big one too. And while CGI was of course involved, still felt very real and dizzying and claustrophobic. Essentially, it was utter carnage with soldiers lying on piles of bodies and giants swinging men around like ragdolls. The episode offered serious ammunition for fans speculating that Sansa Stark is pregnant with Ramsay Bolton's baby. Before Sansa watches Ramley get devoured by his hounds, he utters the defiant lines, you can't kill me, I'm part of you now. Depending on how literally the now dead bastard means that, it could signal that Sansa is indeed carrying his child. I have three reasons for this. One, Sansa seemed to have lost her appetite when she finally arrived at the wall to be reunited with Jon Snow. Two, Sansa appears to be wearing a brand new dress lately, and we all know wardrobe changes have not exactly been at the top of Sansa's to-do list maternity, where maybe most crucially Sansa said as well she was making Littlefinger hear just how horrible Ramsay was to her. I can still feel what he did to me in my body standing here right now. He said this of course refers to when Ramsay raped Sansa while she was captive. If you take this in a more literal sense, it could mean Sansa is still feeling, not just the psychological trauma inflicted on her from the rape, but her body's physical logical reaction conception. 
being pregnant by a rapist. That would be appallingly awful development for concept, but we've come to expect the worst from this show, so nothing's off limits. Oh, let's play this particular theory. They said that, a theory. Ah, uh, nailed it. Nailed it, guys. Yep. Right on target. That's exactly the points that we were going to talk about, and you guys nailed it. Yep. Yeah, it's perfect. But yeah, no. Come for these words, I guess. Yeah, and I will continue my morning for one one while I'm dancing about on the grave of Randy Bolt. I think we all are. I actually did dance when that happened. I cheered, I danced, I punched the air. I was ready to, like, I was actually ready to have a drink, and I don't drink. I was that happy. You were going to drink goat's milk, right? Yes, I was going to drink goat's milk really ugly fermented disgusting goat milk instead of that sour grape liquid grape yeah. that you know Tormund has such disdain for God, we're gonna go into sharing what's happening on next week's episode which is our final Thrones cast for a while which makes me kind of sad but we'll be back hopefully in April depending on how that shorted schedule works next year yeah, on next week's episode, Dan, Nikki, and I return to review the season six finale episode of Game of Thrones entitled The Winds of Winter. But for now, we'll roll our pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast. Get at our website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs. Get the iTunes store. Get Google Play store. Guys, for the podcast shows, get our network. We have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics-related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast, located at Marvelverse podcast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. Again, we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheirways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes core game of thrones like the walking dead doctor who star wars rebels supernatural and more including sitcoms such as the big bang theory got the muppets also you can listen to across the airways the dc nation podcast thrones cast the game of thrones podcast got the marvelverse podcast got the mixed radio station code by jack stifle stitcher radio or if you use apple devices download the podcast box app got if you're on a windows or android device you can download our apps from the amazon marketplace got the windows marketplace got a regular windows or windows phone app because for how you you can contact us to give your own listener feedback got the tv shows we review provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience or just want to say do you like what we're doing email us at across the airways get gmail.com again that's across the airways get gmail.com comment on our facebook page follow us on twitter got across their waves there's no thought in there it's just across their waves join our circle Kai google plus or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363 again that's 773-809-3363 also with sending us an email Please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Get the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. So once again, for other ATA podcast hosts, Wu Kim, Steve Nostro, James Joshua Mercray, got Michael J. Petty, got Dan Schmidt, and I'm Nico Reistick. I'm Nikki Amy. Get it till our next episode. We'll catch you on the airways. See everyone. Get enjoy the finale coming this Sunday night. See ya.
now return to our regularly scheduled program.